Thank you very much, Irene and Holly, for ministering to music. And as we think about the season we're in, the song they sang, many times people are a little more open to God, to Christ at Christmas. So I would encourage you to give an invite to others that are in your severe of influence, those that you may interact with. Give them an invite to church next Sunday as we reflect on Christ, look at some scripture in relation to Christ and who he is. couple questions, thought questions for you. Not looking for a response. As believers in Christ, can we live godly in our fallen world without godly wrath? As believers in Christ, can we live godly in our fallen world without godly wrath? What is the relationship between love and wrath? Should wrath be displayed toward a husband, a father, who is verbally and physically abusive to his wife and children? Is wrath good? The overriding theme of the scripture that we've been studying in recent months has been, can we trust God? Can we trust Christ? Can we trust scripture? How do we answer basic worldview questions? Like, why is there pain and suffering? Why am I here? We've considered Hebrews 11. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 3. We're in the process of looking at Romans 1 and would invite you to turn to Romans 1 which deals with God revealing himself. And keep in mind that God spoke through Paul about the revelation of a righteousness available through the gospel of Christ. Then he speaks about the revelation of the wrath of God. Then in chapter 3, 21, and into chapter 4 and chapter 5, he talks about the revelation of, again, the righteousness of God. Revealed is important. Without God's revelation, we would not know there was a righteousness from God available. We would not understand his wrath being revealed. Romans 1, beginning with verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is made plain to them, because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the created things 
rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to the shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty of their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Notice the progression that is taking place. In verses 18 through 20, we find God's revelation of his wrath against all the godlessness and wickedness of men is presented. In verses 21 through 23, we find human rejection. They don't respond to God's revelation. So they don't glorify him as God nor give thanks to him. So God gives them over to the sinful desires of their heart and sexual impurity and so on comes along. They still don't want to respond to God. They worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator. So God gives them over to shameful lust, as described in verses 26 and 27. They didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gives them over to a depraved mind. And the items described in verses 28 through 32 become a reality in the lives of people. This morning we want to look at a few words and define some words and try to make sense as it relates to the world in which we live. Verse 18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed. Wrath can be defined as anger, a mental bend, indignation, vengeance, Punishment, displeasure at what is base, abhorrence, and righteous scorn. Now it says the wrath of God. God obviously is wrath because it says the wrath of God is being revealed. The tense of being revealed is present which means that it is continually being revealed. And as you read the balance of Romans 1, God's wrath is being revealed in letting people go into various types of sin. So when it says God gave them over in verse 24, that's a continuation of God's wrath being revealed. In verse 28, when it says they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge, 
God gave them over. That's God's wrath being revealed. And letting people go in their evil, that's part of God's revealing his wrath. A couple of thoughts as it relates to wrath. God's attributes are balanced in divine perfection. If he had no righteous anger and wrath, he would not be God. Just as surely he would not be God without gracious love. He perfectly hates just as he perfectly loves. Perfectly loving righteousness and perfectly hating evil. Scripture in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament consistently emphasize the wrath of God. Against those who scoff at him, God will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. The psalmist goes on to admonish, do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in your way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. In Psalm 25, at thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse were cast into a deep sleep. Thou, even thou, art to be feared. And who may stand in thy presence when thou art angry? The psalmist continues, He sent upon them his burning anger, fury and indignation and trouble. A band of destroying angels, he leveled a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but gave their life over to plague and smote all the firstborn of Egypt. The prophets speak of the wrath of God. Isaiah declared, by the fury of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up, and the people are like fuel for the fire. We humans struggle with wrath. How can God, who is loving and gracious, be wrath? Scripture speaks repeatedly. Of God's wrath. God's righteous judgment against sin is proclaimed before his gracious forgiveness of sin is offered. A person has no reason to seek salvation from sin if he does not know he is condemned by it. He has no reason to want spiritual life unless he realizes he is spiritually dead. Do you ever consider some of People in America struggle with what is currently happening in the world. With the terrorism that is taking place, I've heard a number of times in the news, and I've heard people say, our president does not speak strongly enough about terrorism and radical Islam. When someone says that, they're saying they want our president to have a little wrath. God reveals his wrath. And that is in the context of revealing a righteousness from God. R.A. Torrey wisely wrote, Shallow views of sin 
and of God's holiness and of the glory of Jesus Christ and his claims upon us lie at the bottom of weak theories of the doom of those who do not repent. (coughs) Holiness, love, and wrath are all part of God's character. Donald Gray Barnhouse recounts the story of a group of godly farmers in a western community. They became irritated one Sunday morning because a farmer who was a non-believer chose to work in his field right by the church building. And it kind of disturbed the service. And the farmer did that with malice in his heart. And he wrote a letter to the editor of the paper to state that he did not respect the day of the Lord and he did not respect the Lord. But yet he had the highest yield of any farmer in the community. How could that be? The editor printed the letter. And then with great insight, he said, God does not settle all his accounts in the month of October. And in essence, we need to keep in mind That God is not settling all accounts in Romans 1. But he is revealing his wrath against the godlessness and wickedness of men. The wrath of God is revealed. Reveal means to uncover. To be disclosed, to be plainly seen. It's distinctively declared. And it's in the present tense, which means it goes on and on. His wrath is being revealed repeatedly. His wrath is revealed against godlessness and wickedness. What is godlessness? Living and acting as if God did not exist. Or if he does, we owe him nothing. It's just ruling God out of life. Godlessness. His wrath is revealed against godliness. Godlessness. How many people do you know that just live as like God does not exist? You look at our world and world events. People have to live, and they do live many times as though God does not exist. Just recently completed reading a book of eight women and the persecution they went through for their faith in China, in Vietnam, in Pakistan. And some of the torture that they were put through. I think, how do you think about such evil? God's wrath is being revealed against that godlessness. But it's also being revealed against wickedness. Wickedness is a choice to live in the interest of self and in the process violate the principles of God. We humans can treat others pretty cruelly. My brothers and I, sometimes when we were younger, we would get into some fights and do some pretty cruel things to one another. 
And mom sometimes would say, boys, how can you be so cruel? God's wrath is revealed against some of our, our cruelness, our wickedness that would have come out when we were younger. God's wrath is revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of men who do what? They suppress. They hold down. They restrain. They don't want it to be seen. They're holding down what? The truth. They're suppressing the truth. They hold it down. An illustration of suppress comes from my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law got to the point where she had a hard time hearing. She got hearing aids. And sometimes Ruth Ann or Dick might say, Martha, didn't you hear? She had reached back and turned off the hearing aid. She suppressed what they were saying. By the way, that must be an advantage of a hearing aid. You can just turn some people off. That's what's happening here. Here are people suppressing the truth that God's wrath is against godlessness and the wickedness of men. This is why people resent God, why they fight against God. They're trying to suppress the truth. This is why we have all kinds of sexual immorality. There's a desire to suppress the truth. Now let me share a couple of specific examples. You will find that some people are very angry at God because of suffering that they may go through or some family member that has gone through. So they lash out at God. They're trying to suppress God's wrath against their anger. We find that people in our country, and we have literally taken the lives of thousands of babies since 1973, but it goes back long before 1973 through abortion. Those people will speak against believers who speak God's view of life and death. They're trying to suppress the truth. A student can go to school today and can innocently speak up about creation and they may be shot at pretty strongly because they're trying to suppress the truth of a creator. There's a debate today in our country. Does life begin at birth or does it begin at conception? The answer is life does not begin at birth or conception. Life began back in Genesis 1 and 2. When God breathed into humans the breath of life. So when conception takes place, you have a living egg, you have living sperm. Life is continued. There's a new person, but not a new, not new life. But when you discuss that with people and say life began, began back in Genesis 1 and 2. When you have a new human coming, it's from living egg, living sperm. They don't like, want to hear that because they want the truth. To be suppressed. 
evil, wickedness, godlessness is present in our world today. World War II, Hitler's action, evil. Some of the things that have taken place in our county in recent years, again, evil. But what happens? God is revealing his wrath against that wickedness and godlessness of men as they suppress the truth. And what is the truth? That which is verifiable, that which conforms to reality, that which is actual, that which is free from hypocrisy, that which is genuine. What is the truth in the context that God's wrath has been revealed against godlessness and wickedness? That's the truth. That's verifiable. That influences how we live and how we respond. Why are we here? Depends who you ask as to the answer. Some people say we're here to make a mark for ourselves and to get ahead in the world. So if we're here for that reason, we can run over whomever we want. But the truth says we're created in God's image. And for me to harm another person, I'm harming one created in God's image because we're to live for God's glory. So that's the truth revealed. What happens when we die? When later Romans 1 and Hebrews 11 and 1 Peter 3 and a couple other related passages, we're judged. If we come to faith in Christ, we go to be with the Lord. If not, judgment comes. Truth gives us a worldview that is correct. So God's wrath is revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress, who hold down the truth. Because what may be known about God is plain to them. Because it is made plain to them, and he goes on in verse 20 to say, it is made plain to them through creation. When Hitler did what he did during World War II, he did that with knowledge. But he was suppressing the truth. It was plain to him, but he suppressed the truth. Today we have people who are promoting taking human life through abortion. That's suppression of the truth. But they know that God's wrath is against that. It's made plain to them through creation. Within the last few years, I visited Luzerne County Prison. And in one of my visits to Luzerne County Prison, I talked to a murderer. He came down to the interview room where I, as a clergy, can go, and I can talk face-to-face. I don't have to talk through the glass. I introduced myself 
He knew who I was because another inmate that I talked to told him about me and told me I needed to talk to this guy, and this guy was told you need to talk to Pastor Dan. He came in and he sat down, and we talked just a little. And his basic question was this. Pastor, can I be forgiven for what I did? I murdered my wife. Why did he even ask the question? Because he knew he had done wrong. It was made plain to him. God's wrath against godlessness and wickedness is revealed against godlessness and wickedness. That ties in with the second inmate that I talked to who was guilty of some sexual sin. He came down and I was talking to him and he basically said, Pastor, I just want you to know I have some reasons for what happened. Why would he uh, even offer reasons to try to justify what he did? Because he already knew that what he had done was wrong. God had revealed his wrath against the godlessness and wickedness of men. Now that has some pretty strong implications for life. You see, what implications could there be for life? Your seven-year-old son or daughter, or when they were seven, six or seven years old, they already know right from wrong. And we say to our children, why did you do that? We don't need to ask. We already know. They're in Adam. They're sinful. They know that God has made some statements. What we can do is say, I know why you did that. Because you're sinful. But Christ died for that sin. Romans 1 has tremendous implications for godly living. And in a few weeks down the road, we'll pick up there. Go back to my questions from the beginning, the message. As believers in Christ, can we live in our fallen world without godly wrath? Not very well. We covet, we desire for people to have wrath. We're talking God's style of wrath. If we didn't have wrath, you just leave everyone do what they want and there's no consequences. What is the relationship between love and wrath? God in his wrath speaks against the godlessness and wickedness of men. In his love, he says, here's a righteousness available through the gospel of Christ. It was my parents' wrath. And I'm not talking about beating someone and yelling at someone. I'm talking about a biblical wrath that confronted my wrongdoing. And it was their love that showed me how to live well. 
You can't have a God of wrath without a God of love. You can't have a God of love without a God of wrath. They mesh together perfectly. Should, we dis- should wrath be displayed toward a husband or a father who verbally and physically abuses his wife and children? Shall I wait for an answer? Most of us probably have displayed that wrath. Doesn't something rise within you when you hear or read about a husband or a father who is not treating his wife and children correctly? You think, oh, something's got to be done. If we didn't have that, if we don't have that, then anything goes. You want to see a little wrath. Hopefully it be godly wrath. Let someone murder your son or daughter in cold blood. Something's going to rise within you. That's a good thing. We're made in God's image. But God wants us to have a godly wrath. Is wrath good? It's as good as love. We sing... The love of God. Wrath is as worthy of God as love. Wrath is as worthy of God as grace. They all mesh together. And ultimately, his wrath was displayed in Christ and the cross. And this morning, as we close our service, we're going to partake of communion. And as we partake of communion, keep in mind... What 1 John 4, 9, and 10 says, listen as I read. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As we partake of the bread symbol, as we partake of the cup symbol, think about Christ, the cross. That the father turned his back on his son as he was on the cross because he was taking the punishment for our sin. Wrath taken by Christ. That's past. In the present, we need the cross. We need Christ because we battle with sin. But it's through Christ that we have forgiveness of sin in the present. It's through Christ that the power of sin has been broken in the present. We need the gospel today. Not only when we came to Christ. But we also need the gospel in the future. And the communion reflects on what is coming in the future. In Matthew chapter 26, 27 through 29... Then he, Jesus, took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the covenant, or the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day that when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. One day in the future, for those who are believers, we're with the Lord. And apparently... In some way, partake of communion. So as we 
particular bread and symbol reflect on the past, the present, and the future. Men, if you would come forward, please.